Well, there's a strong set of numbers at the end of the week. PMI reads were generally good. UK retail sales bounce back. And vaccines, we're told, will do a great job against the current mutations of COVID-19. So it's all good, isn't it? The only imbalance is between the relative enthusiasm of the markets and the central banks, with Christine Lagarde talking down the need for any tapering talk in Europe, making it sound like it's really some way off, while support for tapering sooner rather than later is gathering a bit of momentum in the United States. And it's a quiet start to the week this week. But uh, some inflation numbers and Aussie GDP partials later in the week, they're all going to be worth looking out for. It's Monday, the 24th of May, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar climbed a quarter percent on the DXY on Friday, so over the week it only lost 0.3%, but the direction was generally down. Uh, the rise on Friday really came from a weaker euro, although across the week uh, both the euro and the pound were up, but that fall on Friday in the euro down almost 0.4%, pushed the US dollar up, which hurt the Aussie dollar, which was down almost 0.6% on Friday in a week of ups and downs, but it, it lost half a percent overall, uh, the Aussie dollar over the week. US stocks continue to be mixed and confused, or days and confused. If you're a Led Zeppelin fan, uh, the Dow was up a third of 1% on Friday, but over the week, 0.2% down. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq lost half a percent on Friday, but 0.3% up over the week, and the S&P 500 down a little on Friday and down 0.4% over the week. So stocks all over the place, really, whilst the Eurostox 50 was up two-thirds of 1% on Friday, but the FTSE 100 down a little, whilst bonds did very little. Ten-year treasuries finished the week with yields at 1.62%, which is two basis points uh, lower than they started the week, so no great shakes. Brent crude was up 2% on Friday, but only after the big falls that we saw for most of last week. Uh, and over the weekend, lots of excitement for Bitcoin. It fell 13% on Sunday. We'll no doubt talk about that as well. Uh, here's Tapas Strickland, Direct Economics for Markets in NAB in Sydney. Maybe we should look at the numbers from Friday, first of all, Tapas, because there's quite a few of them. Uh, Aussie retail sales would come onto that, uh, but also uh, we had uh, a huge number of PMIs as well, didn't we, for May? So it seems like almost everywhere the service sector is coming bouncing back. Yes, that's right. So we had very, very strong services PMIs, no matter where you are, uh, whether you're in Europe, the UK, all the US, and all pointing towards as you do ease up on those virus restrictions, you see a very strong bounce back in activity. And just to give you some illustration for how high those prints are, the European Services PMI increased to 55.1 from uh, 50.5 previously. The US Services uh, PMI rose to 70.1, and I think that's the highest yeah. in the series that dates back to 2009 there. And the UK Services PMI also rose to 61.8. So very, very strong. Uh, in terms of what I took away from the uh, report, uh, when you delve into the details, um, a lot of anecdotes on prices pressure. So um, average yeah. input costs were the highest since March 2011 in, in Europe, um, and uh, service sector costs also grew at a pretty sharp rate there. Uh, and interestingly, some firms are starting to pass that on into their final uh, prices charged. Uh, and uh, in Europe, at least, uh, that was its highest level since 2002. And similar stories are also being found in the US with the steepest rise in the services prices since uh, October 2009. So all pointing towards that um, short-term inflationary pressure from the supply chain issues and from the concentration in demand uh, relative to sticky supply as you ease up on those virus restrictions. Yeah. And new orders, very high new orders, but rising backlogs because of all these uh, bottlenecks in the supply chain as well. 
that seems to be a common thread. Uh, in, in, indeed, and does a little really to assuage market um, fears that uh, you're going to see uh, more inflation prints that are going to be printing on the high side. And I think market's going to be very focused in terms of how central banks are starting to react from that. Uh, and it was just interesting, I thought on Friday that the Fed's Harker, um, he had been relatively uh, centrist and was towing the Fed line only just two weeks ago. But on Friday, he came across and said uh, he wants to start talking about tapering sooner rather than later. So it looks like he may have been spooked or at least has seen some signals out of the recent CPI prints and has come over more towards that tapering yeah. camp. And so it's him and, and Kaplan and yeah, that's, that's right. I wonder how many are going to uh, follow on in those in, in that direction. But I mean, the reason for most of the currency moves over the uh, over Friday was Christine Lagarde, wasn't it? She was pressed on, uh, on tapering during a Q&A session. Her answer was, well, it's far too early and actually unnecessary to debate longer-term issues. She sees tapering as being a longer-term issue. So that sent the euro down a bit on Friday, which, which indirectly actually uh, hurt the Aussie because uh, obviously it was responsible largely for the, the rise we saw in the US dollar on Friday. Uh, indeed, and uh, Lagarde said it was far too early and it's actually unnecessary to debate those longer-term issues. So I think... Um, Within the governing council of the ECB itself, I think opinion is a little bit divided about whether the ECB will uh, taper their um, asset purchases there at the June meeting. And that same debate is also being um, carried out right across the world, whether you're in Australia or or New Zealand, about the appropriateness of uh, QE uh, when you do have very sharp snapbacks in economic activity. And Lagarde's pushing back on that uh, does bring a few echoes and maybe there was a few um, sentiment um, spillovers towards uh, the Aussie and the RBA where the RBA is making a decision on whether to embark on another round of QE at the July Mm. meeting. And retail. Well, we'd we'd expect retail to be bouncing back. Obviously, in Australia, it has been. The UK, it is as well. We've got the figures for April. Let's remember, of course, the shops only really reopened uh, for non-essential retail on April the 12th. So half the month was written off. But even so, quite a bounce back, not to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I think it shows they're going to have a very significant increase in May, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. And uh, I think core retail sales uh, rose by 9% month mm. on month. So uh, even with uh, the UK only being open for about half of um, April, it was still an extremely strong rise. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that, um, and this is quite important for um, high street retailers and for those people who are shopping centre landlords, is the share of online sales actually fell in, in April as people went out and about and onto the high street again. Uh, and uh, the share of online sales in the UK decreased to 30% uh, from 34.7%. So I think that is an encouraging sign about people's willingness to go back to the high street and interact with each other again. Well, they were desperate to get out and do anything else, weren't they, really? I'm sure that's the case. But look, the, the Aussie retail numbers as well, what was, what was your, your take on that? Because obviously, uh, well above pre-pandemic levels. But I mean, is that just a, a bit of uh, pent-up demand? Is that going to come sliding down? Or what's the story there, do you think? Yes, very, very strong. So it was up 1.1% against uh, 0.5% expected. And it looks like government stimulus uh, did play a little bit of a role. So when you look at spending on cafes, restaurants, and takeaway services, they're up 2.5% in the month with very strong growth coming out of New South Wales and and New South Wales has had its um, cafe and spending uh, vouchers and also entertainment vouchers as well. So I think a little bit of government stimulus Mm. is playing its role there. But notwithstanding that, uh, the level of retail sales in Australia is 11.8% above pre-pandemic February 2020 levels. Uh, And it does suggest there has been some reallocation of activity away from 
the money that was traditionally spent on maybe international tourism uh, and more towards the domestic market. And just prior to the pandemic, I think Australians on net spent about $25 billion uh, extra overseas than foreign tourists uh, spent in Australia. So some of that money is definitely circulated within the Australian economy. Yeah, and for that, obviously it's going to be the same in Europe as well, in the UK for retail. If people can't go overseas, they've got that money to spend. Uh, they're going to spend it in the in the domestic economy. So, uh, look, it's for the week ahead for us, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've got quite a few GDP partials coming out later on in the week. Uh, construction work, private capex, uh, the weekly payroll numbers as well. So quite a bit of uh, quite a few numbers for Australia. Uh, definitely, and we'll be looking at the uh, construction work done figures and the capex uh, figures quite closely, and particularly the CapEx ones, just to give you some hint of how firms are shaping up their capital expenditure plans. And the forward-looking indicators out of our own business survey are very positive on that front. So uh, vaccine news-wise, I mean, this is obviously what's going to help retail. How safe is it for people to venture out? Uh, Less of a concern in Australia right now, but obviously in the UK, they're looking at it very closely because they've got the question mark about whether they fully reopen the country. In Israel, of course, they're going down that road as well. The big concerns being, you know, this the India mutation and uh, how effective vaccines are. But look, it seems like they are fairly effective. And I think in the UK, they're uh, going for broke. They're talking about a third jab in autumn, which uh, might remove any uncertainty over this problem. Yes, that's right. So a study by the Public Health uh, England found the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine were very effective against the Indian virus mutation. I think the Pfizer vaccine was 88% effective against symptomatic disease and uh, the AstraZeneca was 60% effective against symptomatic disease. And those two figures uh, are providing the UK government a lot of encouragement that they can continue to ease virus restrictions uh, and yeah. allow um, economic activity to, to rebound. And I thought um, the other interesting thing, and you mentioned it, was in terms of um, Israel. And Israel is now, I think, repealing most of their uh, social distancing restrictions. And they've got about 92% of those aged 50 years and older now fully vaccinated. Um, so it does suggest that uh, the kind of trajectory that financial markets have priced in about economic activity recovering sharply as virus restrictions ease on the back of vaccines still remains very, very valid. Look, let's uh, let's look at uh, what else is coming up this week. Uh, the core PC deflator, with all this talk about inflation and uh, tapering talk coming from the Fed, uh, I guess this is going to be keenly watched, isn't it, this week? But does it, I mean, if it's a temporary number, does it, it doesn't, if it's a high number, it's not going to discount anything the Fed has been saying, because even if it's a big number, you know, it's still going to be a temporary number, presumably. Yes, that's right. I think for the Fed to start changing, I think you need to see a number of CPI and PC prints printing a little bit above um, expectations. So we obviously got the first one uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so if you did get a, a couple of prints going that way, then I'd expect more Fed officials to peel away from the center core and start talking about the prospect of inflation being a little bit more durable above target. And the other one that we're looking quite closely at is inflation expectations and whether inflation expectations are starting to get a little bit too high. So the Fed's rationale for average inflation targeting and for wanting inflation a little bit above that 2% target is to really anchor inflation expectations at 2% after a period where they were below. And when you look at financial market measures of inflation expectations and consumer measures, particularly out of the University of Michigan survey, they're now at or above long and average levels. So a few Fed officials are now thinking, are inflation expectations becoming a little bit de-anchored on the higher side? That is an emerging mm. story, but something that will be definitely worth watching out for for the next uh, couple of weeks. And at least for the um, PC figures that are coming up on Friday, uh, the consensus for core is at 0.6% month on month and 2.9% 
year on year. But this is going to make if we had, if we do have rising inflation, uh, this is um, and we have an economy that's recovering. This is going to make it much harder, isn't it, for uh, for Joe Biden to get his uh, you know next phase of spending through his infrastructure spending, particularly you know given uh, there's there's many people now saying, well, look, this extra three hundred dollars per week uh, benefit supplement is actually stopping people getting back to work. Uh, he's he's going to find out. Well, he's not going to get Republican support. I'm just wondering whether he's going to get the support from his own party. Uh, at this stage, it doesn't look like he has the support of Senator Manchin, and whose vote is very crucial in order to get an infrastructure mm. package passed through the Senate. Um, the White House did say that they had proposed a a, a um, another offer uh, to the Republicans after they had rejected the initial 2.3 trillion dollar stimulus, and he's come up with a program of about 1.7. Trillion, but that's still well above the 568 billion that Republican lawmakers had counted with. So I think it's going to be a very slow burn on any uh, further fiscal stimulus, and the rebound in the economy, as you're noting, just um, puts that further down the pipeline as well. Yeah, and less important, I mean, and its influence on the market. So markets were encouraged by the fact that there's going to be extra government spending when they thought the economy's recovery might be quite slow. Now it looks like it's faster. Maybe can, uh, markets are going to be less concerned about it anyway, I guess. Look, it's an astonishingly quiet day for data today, isn't it? We get in New Zealand retail sales for Q1 this morning. That's about it. Uh, and uh, the Bank of England, we've got some of the uh, the Bank of England crew up in front of the, uh, the Parliamentary Treasury Committee in the UK tonight as well. Yes, a very, very quiet night. Um, with retail sales, uh, retail volumes in New Zealand are likely to be flat to negative. And uh, with those BOE speakers, I think um, most people will be looking for further comments on how the economy is going uh, just regarding the lifting of various virus restrictions. Okay, good. That's it for now. Thanks, Great. Tapas. Thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.